are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. We wanted to take some time this year and, and speak about vision. A lot of churches will do a Vision Sunday or something like that, but we like to sort of spend a bit more time during February. And in fact, we've decided we're going to take sort of five weeks of vision. Now, we'll finish our, our vision period on the 1st of March. You might think, 1st of March, the, the year's nearly over by then, but, but uh, you know, we wanted to take five weeks. And so we wanted to take the first couple of weeks, last week and this week, and kind of uh, make sure that our personal vision is focused on what it should be. Before we want to talk about what God wants to, what we believe God wants to do in and through the church, and next week we'll have an opportunity to begin that, we just wanted to make sure that we are aligned with God. And so today I want to do a little devotion in a moment, and then I'm going to have an opportunity to pray for some people. Next Sunday, we're going to uh, launch our 2020 Vision Builders campaign. Pastors Terry and Nirvana, our location pastors, will share a little bit about uh, what they believe God wants to, what, that wants to do in and through our church and in our community. So we'll talk more about Vision Builders next week. Uh, and then on the 23rd of February and the 1st of March, we're having like a dual. There's so much happening in the life of our church. We needed two Sundays to tell you all about it. So we're going to take two Sundays and tell you how, uh, what's happening in our church and what we believe God is, has on our heart as, as leaders uh, to impact our community and the nation and the nations around the world. So we'll be talking about that. Who's excited for what God's going to do? Yeah, well, I believe God's going to do some amazing things. So, so today, I want you, if you haven't come prepared, that's totally cool. But as you're listening to me, I want you to also be listening to the Lord. And so the plan before we finish in a few moments is I would love to pray for you about whatever God has put upon your heart for your life, for your calling, for your destiny, for your purpose, for your family this year. And so uh, some of you may have come prepared with some notes. If not, grab a pen or use your notes app on your phone or whatever, and just maybe start to jot down some things that you're passionate about that you would like to see um, in your life. But what I want to do is I want to pick up on what Pastor Ivana said last week, and that is when we seek first his kingdom, he promises to take care of everything else. And we live in a world that is not necessarily seeking God's kingdom first. And that, that mentality can actually come across into our lives and it can infiltrate us without our even realizing. And so if we were to actually look at our lives, we might be thinking, we might, it might be like seek sixth God's kingdom, not seek first God's kingdom, because we've got all these other priorities, the things that we want, the things that we need, the things that, that we want for our family and, and our need and our church and our tribe and all this sort of stuff. And that's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's an upside down kingdom. God says, if you will seek me first, I will take care of those other things. And uh, I did have an opportunity to listen to the podcast from last Sunday that Pastor Edwina preached at Camden. That one, fortunately, was recorded. And she said, and she was very much similar to Pastor Ravana. She said, uh, I picked up on this, these words for, the, for my devotion today. She was talking about uh, this time next year. And, you know, when it comes to the beginning of the year, we like to set goals for the year. And where would it want to be next, this time next year? And her th- thoughts were exactly what Ivana was sharing. And that is... Let's make sure that by this time next year, any goals that we might have for our lives and our family and and all of that are Christ-centered goals. If our primary goal is, Lord, by this time next year, I want to look a bit more like you. I want to be reflecting you to the world around me a little bit more. That's a good goal. And I had a pastor years ago who mentored me and he said, Rowan, it doesn't actually matter what comes second in your world because if Jesus is first, he'll order everything else. I thought that's just such a simple piece of advice. Anything that's supposed to be second will be second if he's first because he'll order it correctly. 
So let's seek first His kingdom. Let's be a people who, as you write your thoughts down, if you haven't uh, already done so, or maybe as you already have done some thoughts and prayers, but now you're starting to think, and as you're hearing what I'm saying, you're thinking, well, maybe I just need to realign my vision a little bit, just so that I make sure that Christ is central, that that's my primary goal for the year, is that I want to honour Him with my, with my life. And so I wanted to share a little devotion, and then we'll pray. And uh, this devotion is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to just do it like I would do a Bible study this morning. So I don't have any notes in front of me. I have got notes, but I tried to memorize them and let the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I like, sometimes I like in devotions not to have notes, just so I can allow the Spirit to, to move in us. So we're going to look at this story in 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a story about the prophet Elisha. Now, I need to let you in a little uh, preacher's joke. Anytime preachers preach about Elisha or Elijah, there's this challenge most preachers joke that they can never get through a sermon that involves Elijah or Elisha without accidentally mixing them up at some point, right? Today, I'm only preaching about Elisha. So if I say Elijah, you know I'm talking about Elisha, okay? It's de- you don't get confused. It's definitely no Elijah in today's story, okay? Chances are, I will say it. It's all preachers of, you know, it's very hard because they sound so alike. They, were, they One mentored the other. They, they appear very close to each other in the scripture. But today, I'm talking about, who am I talking about? Elisha. Now, Elisha was a prophet. If you don't know Elisha, he was a prophet in the nation of Israel, probably around about, off the top of my head, maybe about 900 BC, at a time where the nation of Israel was not a whole lot different to what we're seeing in the world today. There was a, a, a move away from uh, worship of God. There was a move away towards different values. The, he, he still had a voice into the nation as a prophet. He, had a, he, he haven't had the ear of the king, so he, had, he was a significant man. He, he came from wealth. We can, we can ascertain that from the story. He came from influence in society. But God had called him to be a prophet, a voice to his nation to uh, speak against what was happening in that nation that had been called to follow God and, and the king and others were wandering away and taking people away from God. Very similar to today's world where the, the worldview of the kingdom was being watered down. And Elisha's job was to speak to that. And, uh, and to, he traveled all over the nation and he became respected in the land. And he would go and he would do all kinds of miracles and, and preach, kind of like Jesus did. And he would share about what the kingdom was like. His ministry was to tell people what God was like. This is what the world is like. This is what society is doing that's not good. I want to show you what your God is like. He's a God who heals. He's a God who loves. He's a God who speaks up for justice and righteousness and peace. That was the mandate of this man, Elisha. And before we get into the story, I want to give you a bit of a heads up on a Bible pattern. Who's heard, ever heard the term Bible patterns in Scripture? The Bible is written as a story, intentionally. The Holy Spirit inspired writers. But when the writers wrote, they would often build upon stories that were previously mentioned. And so whoever it was that sat down and wrote this story, it's very clear. And, and any uh, any Jew worth their salt would know straight away that this story was riffing off a previous story. Some of you may not know that, and that's cool, but I'm going to tell you. So as you read this, you'll know what the previous story is. Because there's a lot of similarities uh, that, that make this story reflect a previous story. And the story is the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah when God came to them and said, as an old, man, as an old couple, you're going to have a baby. In your old age, you're going to have a baby. And there's so many direct parallels in this story that I want to draw some of them out. The reason I want to draw them out is because I believe that the Holy Spirit wrote, had the writers of this story write it for a reason. 
that when we read one story, we would see it reflected another. And as we look forward, we could look at our lives and we could see our lives reflected in this story. And so I believe as we start to pray about what God might want for us in this nation, in our lives, in this day, in 2020, we can take some stuff out of this story and let it speak to us. You see, the Bible is alive. It's, it's not just a dead historical document. It is history, but it's inspired by God. And if you haven't ever read the Scripture that way, I want to encourage you to begin to read it like that. Don't just read it as dead history. See that in the story of Scripture is a greater story. It's His story. History is His story. And the Scripture is your story and my story. We are supposed to read Scripture and see how it applies to us. Today in this story, we're going to be this widow. We're going to be this widow. And we're going to see how this, sorry, this widow, this, this, this mother, this lady who was, who was a childless at the beginning of the story. I'm not, she's not a widow. She was childless at the beginning of the story. We're going, to be, we're going to be her and see what God might say to us about our dreams. So Elisha would often travel around the nation of Israel. And uh, it says there, one day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. Shunem was located in the central part of Israel, in the mountain ranges. It was on major routes. So this was a place that, that Elijah, Elisha, see I did it already, Elisha would have had to travel through regularly in order to be able to do his ministry and go around. And so Shunem was a well, well-known place. And it says a wealthy woman lived there. So this was not just a, a poor woman who of no influence. She was a, a, a woman of influence in that community. And she urged him, come home to me and have a meal. Straight away, I want to show you some parallels because you don't actually know that parallels are coming until later in the story. It's later in the story that the writer has directly linked it back to Abraham, but I don't want to do it that way. I want you to know up front, this is about Abraham and Sarah that the writer is thinking about. Because you see, there was a story in the book of Genesis in chapter 18 where Abraham and Sarah had some visitors come to them. And those visitors came to them and Abraham raced out and he said, hey, come and have a meal. And he raced into Sarah and he said, Sarah, go and, and prepare the best uh, bread that you can prepare and, and get the, everything together. And he goes out to his servants and he races out and he says, kill the fattened calf and come and have a meal. And it says he quickly prepared the meal. I don't know how you quickly prepare a fattened calf. This was not just a throw together McDonald's $2 meal here. This was significant. This was sacrifice. This was hosting. But they hosted these, get these visitors. And can you see the similarity in this story here? That this uh, this woman is hosting the man of God, the representative of God. Come and have a meal at my home. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. I would too if I was being hosted well. I would go back to the place that hosts me well. I'd say, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I know I'm going to get looked after. I know I'm going to be well fed. I'm going to go there. So she said, look, he keeps coming. She said, I'm sure that this man who stops by from time to time is a holy man of God. There was something about this man that drew her heart to him. And, he, and she says, I'm going to do something with that revelation of who this man is. Let's continue reading over, the, over to the next verse. We've got the next slide there, Ross. She says, let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then whenever he comes by, he will have a place to stay. What was she doing? She understood that if she wanted to, to house God's man, if she wanted to house God's presence, it was going to cost her something. It was going to be costly. It was going to require sacrifice. She had to build a room for him. My question for us is, are we prepared to build a room to house God in our hearts? 
You see, we take, spend a lot of time with our prayer list. So we want this and we want that and we want to see this happen. But have we made room in our lives? Have you built a room in your heart? Is there time in your schedule? Is there space to house God's presence? Because you see, everything that's going to flow in this story out of this comes because first she sought the kingdom. First she said, I want to house, I want to house the presence of God. I want to respect what is on this man's life enough to, that he wants to come and be with me. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that sometimes God comes because he loves us, but he might knock on our door and there's not really room? I don't know if you know the famous verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Billy Graham verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone uh, opens up the door, I will come in, Jesus says, and I will eat with him. Billy Graham used that verse in evangelistic meetings for 50 years and saw wonderfully, saw tens, hundreds of thousands of people respond to Christ. But that verse, Jesus was not speaking it to non-Christians. Jesus was speaking it to his followers in the church at Ephesus. He was saying to them, I want to come in. Have you made room for me? You've, you've said, yes, Lord, come in, but is there any room in your life for me? Jesus wants room. Jesus is looking for houses, our hearts, that are open and ready, where we have prepared a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. What are they? They are things that you need in order to stay. You know, you don't need a bed, you don't need a bed if you're not prepared, if you're not going to stay for a while. Sometimes, let me, let me put it this way. You can't build a bed for Jesus just by coming to church for 90 minutes on a Sunday. That's not building a bed for Jesus. Building a bed is something where we, we have constant space, where he can not just come and visit. Jesus doesn't want to visit. He wants to reside. Can we make space in our heart? This woman did that. It took sacrifice. It took cost. But the man of God was so moved by this that he wanted to bless her and respond to that. And so Abraham, back in his time, he does the same thing. He creates space. It costs him to prepare this meal. So he has created space in his world to host God. Because if you don't know that story, there were three men that came. And we don't know until a little bit later in the story that those three men, one of them was actually God. There were two angels and probably Jesus, really, if you want to get technical about it. The presence of God, one of them was God himself and two angels that came. And Abraham recognized something about them. And he said, I'm going to host them them. So Elisha one day returns to Shunem, went up to the upper room of the rest, and he said to his servant Gehazi, tell that woman to come. I want to have a chat with her. I want to speak with her. When she appeared, next slide, when she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate, we're grateful for the concern that you have shown us. What can we do for you? I've got the ear of the king. Would you like me to speak to the king? Would you like me to speak to the armor, the commander of the army? She says, no, it's, it's fine. My family takes good care of me. Remember, she's a, a wealthy woman. It's, I've got everything I need. She didn't really. because She didn't have any children, which was a significant thing in that day. It's a significant thing in this day for people, but it was a very significant thing to not... Have to, for, to be a woman and not be a mother as an, uh, and not have had that in that culture was, was uh, let's just say it was significant for the sake of time. So, so she thought she was content. I want, I, that makes me think of the Apostle Paul who said, I've learned to be content. There was things that she needed, but she wasn't driven by those things. She had her contentment in something greater than just that. She says, no, I've, I've got everything. I'm okay, thank you. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what do you think we can do for her, Gehazi? Next slide. What do you think we can do for her? 
Gehazi replied, well, she doesn't have any children and her husband's an old man, so she's an old woman. She's older too. Sounds like Abraham and Sarah. Old man, old woman, no children. He says, call her back in again. Elisha told him, Elisha said, call her back in again. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her in the doorway, next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. A good way to put it is, he says, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. Do you know in that story in the book of Genesis chapter 18, God says to Abraham, about this time next year, your wife is going to have a baby. You need to see the pattern. This was intentional. The right, I don't know if he used those exact words, but the, the phrase is deliberately designed to refer back to the previous. Any Jew reading this goes, that's that story about the promised son of Abraham. That's the story of God planning provision for the world. God's, Abraham's promised son was about God's plan to bring his kingdom to the earth. It's supposed to be the same story. About this time next year, you will be holding a son in your arms. And as I was preparing this, those words arrested me. And that's what took me back to that story. Because I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, that word is for some of you here this year, right here today. Some of you have already sent something inside of you as I've said it, and you're going, about this time next year. About this time next year, everything's going to change in my life. About this time in next year, I'm going to see a breakthrough. About this time in next year, the things that I have been waiting for, they're going to happen. You see, you still have to respond right. Because this woman says, no, no, my Lord, don't, don't deceive me. Don't, don't get my hopes up like that. You might be thinking, Pastor Rowan, don't say that. I don't want to get my hopes up. I've had my hopes up so many times. Sarah said the same thing because Abraham was talking to the three guests and God says to Abraham, about this time next year, everything's going to be different. And we read, it tells us the story that just inside the tent, there's a direct parallel, he was standing, she was standing in the doorway, just inside the doorway of the tent, who was in there? Sarah. She heard the words and she goes, not a chance. No way. She goes, not an old worn out something or other like that. That's what she calls herself. And she doesn't say something very flattering about her husband either. But you know, we're way past the age of childbearing. She's out of sight. She doesn't know that God is God and God can hear. And so God says to Abraham, hey, why did Sarah laugh about that? She goes, oh, I, I didn't laugh. And he said, yeah, you were sarcastic. You, you had faith. And then I love these words. He says, because is anything too difficult for God? Is anything too difficult for God? See, there's another story in the New Testament. In fact, there are two stories in the New Testament that riff off this story that riffs off the, Ab- the Abraham story. It's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who at an old age were able to have a son, John. It's the story of Mary as a virgin who was able to have a son, Jesus. You're supposed to see the pattern, which takes you back to the fundamental story at the beginning. Is anything too hard for God? God would say today, if your heart is, oh, I've tried this thing, I've done this prayer thing before, Is it, oh, I don't know, a bit sarcastic, God would say, is anything too hard for me? I think sometimes maybe the reason we don't see the breakthroughs is because we haven't quite aligned our priorities. We've wanted breakthrough for us. God says, if you will seek first my kingdom, then you'll see the breakthrough. Seek first my kingdom and his righteousness. Seek to do right in the world. 
Seek to reflect Him to the world. Seek to use what I have given you for the benefit of other people. Don't just seek it for you and your family and your church. Seek to use what I've entrusted you with for something bigger. Do you know that is the kind of heart that God cannot help but respond to? As He's looking for people whose hearts are devoted to Him. He's looking for people who don't just want to spend everything on themselves. James says, you ask, the reason you don't get is because you've got motives are wrong. You want to just have it for yourself. That's not the right motive. But let's align ourselves and say, God, I want to seek you. I've got some dreams. I've got some, pa- I've got some passion. I've got some desires. But I want to bring them under you. I want to use what you're going to give me so that I can be a representative of your kingdom to the, the world around me. Can you see why this is important? So, 12 months go by. Let's go over to the next slide there, Ross. Sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And in the story of Abraham and Sarah, Sarah became pregnant with the promised son, God's redemptive plan for the world. Your plan for your life that God wants to fulfill in your life and in my life is not for you and it's not for me. God's plan for Abraham and Sarah to have a son was not just for Abraham and Sarah. God's plan for that son, God told Abraham that it's through your seed that all the nations of the world will be blessed. God's plan for our lives is not just to make us comfortable. My pastor that discipled me as a young Christian, he said, Rowan, God is more interested in the production of your character than than the provision of your comfort. God does not just want you to have a happy, comfortable life. God is looking for a people who will deny themselves take up their cross and say, I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. That's the kind of prayer that God answers. So as we get ready to go into this story, I want you to think about that. I want you to think, are my dreams and goals for me, for my comfort, or am I prepared to live for something bigger? Because here's the irony of the upside-down kingdom of God. If you want to live a fulfilled life, you find life, Jesus says, when you give your life away. You will not find true life by keeping everything for yourself, by making your dreams and goals about you, about your family. You will not find true life in that. Just look at Hollywood. That'll tell you that. Just look at the music industry. That'll tell you that. True life is found in living for a cause bigger than us. So this woman has this child. And it seems like all her dreams have come true. We're not told how much later. We're just told that sometime later, one day, the child has got a bit older. He went out to help his father in the field, who was working with the harvesters in the field. And suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. I don't know whether he had a fall. We don't know what happened, whether he had a a stroke. We, We do not know what happened. This is the promise. This is the promised son that the man of God had given her. Something happened to this boy. Let's go on to the next slide, Ross. His father said to one of the servants, quick, carry him back to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him in a lap. But around noontime, tragically, he died. Have you ever felt like your dream has died? Have you ever felt like you started to see the desire of your heart? That person you were praying for, that situation you were praying about, you started to see breakthrough. Might have been going well for a while, but something happens and the child dies. Have you ever felt that? I have. Where were you, God? What what was going on? Did I miss it? How did that happen, Lord? All these sorts of questions start to arise. This mum, 
picks up her child and she carries him up to the bed that belonged to the man of God and she shut the door and left him in there. Then the rest of the story is, we're not going to look at it, the rest of the story is she goes and chases down Elisha, brings him back and he raises this child from the dead. But you see, when the dream dies, most people haven't got any room left in their house. See, this woman could have said, well, stuff the whole church thing. I'm just going to rip that room down. I don't need to keep that room there anymore. Or I'm going to use it for something else because God let me down. I'm not going to go to church anymore on Sundays. That room that I'd made for him once upon a time, I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to fill it up with something else. This woman understood that if there was to be any hope of breakthrough, she had to make sure that she still had the room for God. Friends, you are going to have challenges in life. Friends, sometimes the dreams seem to die. But I heard a preacher say once, the dream never really dies, it's the dreamers who die. We're the ones who die to the dream. This woman kept her hopes up. It was horrible. I can't begin to imagine the trauma that she went through. And you can get some of that as you, if you read the story of the way she presents herself to Elisha in the next few verses. We're not going to do that. But she made some space. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c3wallandilly.